Hi, this is Cliff for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. This is a beginning of Alpine summer field note report. I wanted to give the recipe for a proprietary blend of herbs, a smoking mixture, that up until now has been kept uh, top secret. But as I get to the latter part of my story, you'll figure out why I'm giving the recipe, because you never know. It's called the uh, Revolutionary Blend. And it has a slogan. I'm out here and it's uh, clearing after a, a storm, just a slight storm. But I had some tent downtime to rest and write. So now it's uh, it's just wonderful to be out running an uh, abandoned old uh, logging road that's healing itself. So that means for people that are not from the Northwest, this is common ground, so it's forest service. This land is our land. And it's been what you call plugged to the great consternation of hydrocarbon man because he cannot get in here with his four-wheel drive pickups and even four-wheelers. So the uh, land is healing itself all by itself. And looking towards the sun this afternoon, I see a sea of uh, yampa. We could do a whole field note on that. It's one of my favorite uh, trail running, backpacking herbs. You harvest it on the go. Yampa is, I believe, Shoshone. So it's the Native American runner's herb that has one of those complex, I don't know, proteins. <laughs> Let's call it proteins. It's not a cliff bar. And it's a heck of a lot cheaper. And someone from Europe or even the cities in the States would probably, if they knew anything about plants, would mistake it for Queen Anne's lace. It is in the carrot family. Peridiadea bolanderi is the botanical name. That's a mouthful, 10 steps. But this is its moment. It's much smaller than Queen Anne's lace. It's half the height. So it um, tops out at about 30 centimeters. And it normally has norm, no more than four umbels. And they're creamy white. I'm looking on thousands of them. What makes it so special is that you lean over. And I always talk to plants. And so I'm asking if it's okay. Because I'm not, I'm not killing the plant. I'm just taking all its money. So you put your hands down right on the very, it only grows in rocky, what you call lithosol soils. And how that's possible, go figure it out. Because it has a deep, about half the diameter of an old-fashioned pencil a taproot, like a carrot. that goes straight down. And you lean down, you pull it out, and it comes out very easily. The drier the weather, the drier the soil, the easier it comes out. So it's almost made for runners. And then you just clean it with your fingers. That's more than enough. It does have a bulb that's much deeper down. And you could, the Native Americans certainly did. Uh, they were much more serious and expert uh, gatherers. 
you'd have to have a special tool with you. I sometimes use an ice axe, and then you can get it out, and it's a, a little um, biscuit root uh, bulb about the size of your thumb. But I leave that in there and eat the top half, or two-thirds, and it's perfectly snow white. And it has a delicious celery carroty uh, taste. And it gives you an energy that is, in music you call it sostenuto, it's sustained. It's not a big peak that uh, like we in the West use with wheat and sugar. But it's very sustained and will keep you going and going and going. There's just thousands of them here. And they certainly weren't here when this was being logged. So it's being, it's healing itself. And this is its time of year. You wouldn't have found them three or four weeks ago. There wouldn't have been a trace. And they're perennials. So once you know where they're at, you can come up to your yampa and um, bring kids up here. They love it. And you cannot mistake it once you know it with any other plant. There are a few bad guys, like they say in the political centers of the world nowadays, <laughs> bad actors, <laughs> that uh, in the carrot family, but they do not, with emphasis, never grow in this kind of rocky, dry uh, habitat. So once you know the habitat and its time of year, there's no mistaking it. Get a book, read about it. And once you know it, it's a real joy. But uh, what I briefly wanted to mention is our revolutionary blend. And it does have a slogan, which you're welcome to use. Do you want to hear it? First you see red, then you see white, then you see blue, and then you see the world the way it really is. So that's our smoking mixture. <laughs> It sounds like something somebody's going to make illegal right away. <laughs> but there's nothing, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your point of view, hallucinogenic about it. But I'm very uh, attached to it. And I make it while I'm running, actually, or get it prepared. And the main ingredient, I'm sitting right next to it. So it's listening in its way. It's super abundant, especially, again, where there has been logging in the past. In, in the great state of Oregon, where I have my picture-poems.com website office, you're happy to visit any time. I'll send out the, the GPS three-word coordinates for that sometime. So you can surprise me sometime, and I won't even be there. But uh, um, Red Root is one of the healer of healers. It's somewhat maligned. What plants aren't maligned? <laughs> like poets. Because it takes over trails within a year or two if you're not brushing it out. And that's its role, that it heals uh, disturbed land and fixes nitrogen naturally in the soil. And uh, perhaps eventually, I'm not so much of a succession thinker. I'm just looking at what's here right, right now. We'll prepare the land for the magnificent conifer ensemble 
It's a quartet, quintet, sextet around us. So we have ponderosa pine, dug firs, larches at this altitude. They just click in at this altitude. They need uh, quite a bit of snow. And then the firs, the white fir, grand fir, out of sick white firs around. I'm not quite sure why that is. But red root, cheonothus veluntinus. So you have cheonothus, so that's the snow flower. You could call it snow flower. Uh, snow brush is one of its common names. And it's billions of branches. <laughs> to speak with Carl Sagan, so billions and billions of branches. That's the kind of thing we don't count. And it's a shrub-like form, and it's uh, uh, kind of grows out uh, across the land from a central rootstock, and can be as high as a person. That's about it. And uh, this is its key feature. It has a unique leaf that you cannot mistake with any other evergreen shrub. It has three distinct uh, veins. They're shiny on the upside and a duller green where the stomata are on the, uh, the breathing pores on the back side. And it's about half the size of your hand. So it's a fairly large leaf and it's evergreen. This bush that I'm sitting next to is just beginning to flower. And it has wonderful, also creamy white flowers, but with a tad more yellow than the yampa. So it makes a wonderful uh, ensemble. And they're just beginning to flower. And as they flower, the new leaves of this year's leaves open. And it forms a wonderful contrast with the light spring green of the new leaves with the uh, older leaves, which are much darker green. So the reason why we call it our revolutionary blend, there are many reasons for that, is that there is a uh, sister plant, another Cheonothus, back east. And the people in New England, I believe, where I grew up at, uh, in Ohio, in the north of Ohio, it's, uh, you can find it on uh, the ecotone of forest and open meadow, if there's any left there in Ohio. The real tea party, remember when the colonists in Boston actually took the Jarling tea, which was the marijuana of the day, it was a real cash crop, and took it and dumped it in the harbor. Well, of course, uh, they had to have some sort of a substitute. They were probably just as uh, dependent on caffeine as we are today. It became known as revolutionary tea, and they made it with this plant, or its sister species back east. So it's to honor that um, great uh, historical fact. You can make tea out of cheonothus, so you would harvest a little bag full of leaves, boil it down, make your tea, and it's fairly strong. It's not going to be sweet, and it does have a, a caffeine-like alkaloid. And I have to admit that I don't use that very much, but you could experiment with it. You use the leaves, so it has a second use. 
Just the fact that you're making your own tea is enough to come out here. I mean, it just gives you a totally new relationship with the earth, the land, to be making things like that you just normally go and get in the market. The leaves, after you've drained the tea, well, you can put those out and dry them, and they'll dry very quickly, especially in this montane Oregon ear. On a sunny day, they would be dry in 12 hours. And then you can crumble them up to get a smoking mixture. So that, that would be number one in your mixture. This is proprietary. But we're getting it out there before they uh, prohibit it, see. This is the uh, first ingredient. The second is, unfortunately, but that's just the way the world is, it's, it's a non-native, and it grows everywhere in the northwest, well, actually coast to coast. So it's what you call naturalized. What isn't becoming naturalized now? It's like, uh, it would only be here, my view on invasive species, I don't know if we should go into that now, is that um, it would hardly be possible without weakness which comes from disturbance. Um, and mullein is the plant I wanted to mention, verbascum thopsum, that has... Uh, achieved a whole, it's almost like it's a new species. It's native to like uh, where I've worked for so many years in Holland. You'll see it along the roadside. There it's called uh, King's Candle. And it has a central spike with yellow flowers. The Native Americans is one, they probably used that for lots of plants, but they called it white man's foot because where the white man came and created disturbance, then he brought certain plants with them. Verbascum or mullein was one of those. And it's a plant that deserves a whole field note report uh, and has many unique features. And you cannot mistake really with any other plant once you get to know it. It's another habitat identifier. So wherever you see disturbed ground and a road, whether it be an expressway or this little anonymous soon to disappear into a hillside former logging track it's very rocky you're bound to find mullein it's a biennial you harvest the leaves and you can even take the dry leaves on a plant that has finished flowering so it'll have a central stalk i call them oregon cactus because they can be six seven eight eight feet higher than a man tall so you won't have any problem finding enough leaves and if you take the new leaves you can do that too of the first year plant they're uh, unique in the sense that they're very velvety grayish green kind of like rabbit ears one to two size larger than your hand so they're very large it forms a very large pretty rosette and it is uh, considered a weed, so be careful not to take it from anywhere where they're using herbicides. But you harvest a handful of those and put them out in this happy Oregon blue sky sun and let them sit for a day or two and turn them if you want to get serious. And before you know it, they'll be completely parchment dry and you can roll them in your hand and add them to your blend. And we're just being simple and having fun here. There's nothing serious about this. Uh, but in anything that has 
to do with revolution in the current areas. It's got to be a good thing. So um, we have now our red root for our revolutionary blend, and then we have our mullen. We need a third ingredient. We're going to keep this simple. And that uh, would be up here at this altitude. It would be the famous Cornus tolonifera, the red osir dogwood, that if you know your Lewis and Clark journals, highly recommended. I listen to them on tape directly from the uh, core of discovery themselves, so in their own words. It's just full of ethno-botanical first-hand uh, accounts that I just love to listen to this time of year. The boys on the trip, 34 of them, they only lost one. It's an absolute miracle. They, Many of them were, of course, uh, tobacco users. They probably both chewed and smoked. So uh, they were certainly highly uh, dependent on uh, nicotine. So uh, even when you're out and about and young and physically active, you're going to notice it when you run out of your nicotine. So the dogwood was one of the replacements they learned from the Native Americans. And you have to have your Swiss Army knife or some similar utensil. I'm not going to go into how you identify the dogwood, but it's a stream, unlike the other plants here, it's a stream-side riparian plant. That's another habitat that with climate crisis is in trouble. So it'll be together with willows, alder, and then you'll see them in between. Uh, a little bit farther from the stream you might see a mountain maple. They're all about of that stature, about three meters tall. And it has white uh, creamy flowers too, which you can also use. But we're using the bark, isn't that fun? So you take your knife and you just uh, scrape off, it'll come off whole, about a pencil length layer, as thin as you can cut it, it'll come off easily, bark. And you need about four or five pencil lengths. So don't take it off from the, it won't hurt the tree, we say, as long as you don't go all the way around the little branch that you're harvesting from. Get a pocket full of that, and then you set them out. It can be with your mowing or anywhere on a rock. And it will amaze you how quickly that dries out and becomes brittle. It has a wonderful aroma and keeps our smoking, makes sure our revolutionary blend. First you see red, white, and blue, and then the way the world really is, we could use some of that. Burning. So those are the three ingredients. It's not addictive. And I've heard that mullen, just mullen, I mean, gee, ours is much more powerful and much more sophisticated, has become popular in the cities of the Northwest for people who want to heal their addiction to nicotine. Of course, I wouldn't want to recommend anybody uh, using nicotine in a, in a ritual way. There's no problem at all. I don't think it's nicotine is very healing, I think, for the central nervous system. Uh-oh, thunder. So we're not paying attention. we got an hour. So we better finish this up. Uh, we're about an hour from camp, so now we're looking at the weather.
You could, if you were David Douglas, add to, so that's in the 19th century, around 1828 or so, when he was collecting plants for the Royal Botanical Society in London. Quite a story. It would make one hick of a film. In fact, there is a new documentary out on David Douglas, which I haven't seen. But anyway, he one of the plants that he was very much wanted to find was the mythical Nicotiana quadrovalis, I think it is, I'll have to check that, which is either native or was, uh, had um, sacred little pots that the Native Americans cultivated. Well, you could add a few little uh, leaves of that if you had that. But it's uh, totally unnecessary. And that's our revolutionary blend. And the... (laughs) Am I going to say that i got to watch the clouds? Yeah, I'll do it real fast. In fact, I'll start walking <laughs> right through the Yampa. Well, as I was saying, this is the time of year that I'm out purifying and training for this circumambulation stuff. And um, it's a lot of gear, so it's 60 kilos a gear on a mountain bike. And going up these steep, uh, it's mostly, oh, about 60% on dirt tracks like this. And uh, a few years back, I was just healing from a fairly major uh, injury and uh, um, was in okay form. And uh, I had to do a three-day climb up uh, one of these uh, dirt tracks. And uh, the second day, I was uh, took a little bit too long to find water. So I finally set up a good camp about halfway up the climb. And it was up in the 35s, it was hot, uh, about the beginning of July. And I set up a camp and I'm just totally exhausted. I don't have a cooker, so I gotta make a wood fire. I mean, (laughs) it's, uh, but you're exhausted, right? So I just uh, throw up a tent, not for a tent, but to keep the mosquitoes away. But I just feel blessed. And uh, I'm down there to my Pocos and <laughs> don't have anything else on. And uh, all of a sudden, it was getting later in the afternoon, an SUV pulls us always uh, bad if you're uh, interfacing with Hydrocarbon Man. Oh, we're walking through some pinstons. This is and deserves a report to its uh, Wallawa and Dimmick. And when the sun was out, this was totally as a pinstamen. And it's just totally a buzz with bees that really go out for that. And it has a color which is totally beyond compare of blue and magenta. But anyway, an SUV rolls by and slams on the brakes, throws it in reverse, and throws on his uh, headlights and starts driving right to my tent. I said, holy cow, what's going on? And I thought to myself, well, Cliff, you better be proactive. So I leap out of the tent, and there I am, down to my black boco swimming suit, like uh, underwear. And uh, Stan said, what, what is this about? So I walk right up to the guy, and I see in the silhouette a flak jacket and a forty-five, <laughs> you know, a, a gun. And I said, what is this about? <laughs> Am I on some sort of list now or what? (laughs) And this guy, believe it or not, the Forest Service now has police. 
I didn't know that. What are they for? Well, this guy, I don't know if I'm going to tell the rest of the story, <laughs> looked like he had best uh, just gotten back from a war zone and had spent two years kicking down doors in another highly unnecessary person of state terrorism. And it did, had no idea how to relate to anything except his job whatever that description might be. So he just started to grill me. I'll make it real short because I gotta get going. And uh, so uh, he started asking me all this, what am I, what am I doing, sir? <laughs> Take one of my clip cards. There's nothing what I do is secret. In fact, you could spread the word if you want. You know, like doing books, selling photos, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I guess the thing that confused him is that I had no vehicle, no car. I said, what, the, what is this guy doing? No car. And that made him suspicious. So he goes all the way around my tent. And it's a long story. I'll do it another time. Because it is funny. He says, well, Cliff, I am going to have to take your marijuana and give you a warning. And this was only a few days before marijuana became legal in Oregon and I'm laughing because it was our revolutionary <laughs> so I started laughing out loud and I said get your damn sniff dog <laughs> because it wasn't marijuana it was just these I mean it, it looks you know like it could be an ounce of something and we weren't even selling it yet so I give it to him I said well yeah you go take this and and check it out <laughs> because it's self-made uh, native tobacco. And he instantly understood and apologized. And that's pretty much the end of the story. And this will be the end of the podcast. So our revolutionary blend. First you see red, then you see white, then you see blue, then you see the world the way it really is. Thanks for listening. This is Cliff for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. Ciao for now. So as a coda, we ran all the way back here and just missed the rolling thunder over mountains. And the rain started just as we zipped up our double wall. As the saying goes, bomb-proof expedition to your base camp. So we're snug and warm and lighting up our first bowl of revolutionary blend. Thanks for listening. Ciao for now.